Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Oh, hello, and welcome to Basic Folk. This is a podcast where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. I'm your host, Cindy Howes. Very pleased to be with you. And uh, once again, going to remind you that we do have some Basic Folk beanies for sale still. There are still a couple left. They are hand-knit by my mom, and they have a Basic Folk label on them. You can see them at my website, cindyhouse.net. Today on the podcast, we have another interview conducted at the Folk Alliance International Conference that took place in New Orleans a few weeks back. I had the opportunity to sit down with Montreal's Alisa P., an incredible person and really great musician who was born in Salouit, Quebec, into the Inuit community. And she grew up in this little Arctic village in the north, surrounded by the sad truth of what had happened to the generations before her uh, when white settlers forced these semi-nomadic Inuit people to settle into one area. And we kind of talk about what that looked like and what that meant for her and her family. Elise P. was born um, to a single mother who adopted her out to other family members who could not have their own children. So she grew up with her birth mother living kind of right around the corner, but was not close to her until she was older. In our wonderful conversation, she talks about being inspired by her musician uncle and also the opportunity to perform with his very popular band at a young age. She also talks about leaving Saluit for Montreal and how she's always had a difficult time with the fact that she left. Her new album, Runaway Girl, addresses those issues and more. She has this song dedicated to her birth mother that she was able to perform live in concert with her mother in the audience, and she shares that special moment as well as talking about the song she wrote about connecting with and understanding men, which gets very interesting. I hope you enjoy our conversation and learn something about this special person. Let's share a song from her latest album, The Ballad of the Runaway Girl, and then we'll get to our conversation with Elisa P. on Basic Folk. Take me to the rodeo and I'll be kind Way past the mountains with all the fountains of youth Take me to my little island, I'll be silent all summer From my room I'll watch the Elisa P., thank you so much for talking to me. Mm. Um, you were born in a little Arctic village in the north. Is it Salouit, Quebec, uh, into the Inuit community? 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that this is a very big question, but for those who are not familiar, can you kind of like set the scene for what your hometown is like? Yes. Um, well, if you think about it, as you know, Inuit lived in the winter in snow houses, what we call igloos. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was born in late 70s and let's say not even 20 years before that, my little village was wintertime, people lived in snow houses. So if you think about that, it's so not long ago, right? So we had been, uh, when the missionaries arrived, uh, when the white people finally did make it all the way up there in, in Salut or in northern or the Arctic, um, they, you know, they were very, very, I guess, very smart in trying to find a way to get these supposedly savages um to be more like them to be uh, so they they took so many things away uh anything that was uh, musically like ritual um uh ceremonies uh they slowly when they um converted them to uh, the christian world well they had to take all these very special uh, meaningful things like throat singing for example or uh, the drums for indigenous uh, um, First Nations people. So it's a little village that has done, that has gone from extreme changes in so little time. Um, so, and also we were semi nomads. So my village, Salut, wasn't really a village. It was just a summer camp or uh, because we would move according to the seasons, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah, I'd say in the maybe 50s where we had to stay and not move anymore um, because they built the Hudson Bay Company uh, trading post, uh, a store, and then the federal people arrived and said, your kids have to go to school now. So we didn't build our village ourselves. It was We were forced mm. to stay put and not move anymore. So that's how it all started. And I think that's where all problems started because it's not really adapting to our environment to, to be like that. So yeah, my, my village went from very small group of people to a thousand 400 now, maybe 1,500. Mm. Of course, it's all Inuit uh, community. Uh, we speak the language. We still go hunting. We still do many traditional things, but mm. we do have also very modern things. We can listen to your podcasts and, you know, we have internet. So it's like, it's like, yeah, it's like any other town except it's the Arctic and yeah. we have no trees and we have, yeah. So um, in my research, it kind of seemed like the missionaries wanted everybody to live in the same place so that the kids could go to school. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Well, the federal um, government mainly worked on trying to get people to, they started from, you know, saying to the parents, okay, you guys have to stop moving, you know, because your kids have to go to school because we built a school for you. And if you don't want to do that, well, you're not going to have your, you know, your government allowance that, you know, to be part of Canadian, you know. So, yeah, and the missionaries, well, they did so many other things, you know. They just converted these very wonderful, spiritual, very connected to, you know, 
the spirit world, well, that slowly was put aside and we became very, you know, we we tried living in this square view, you know, mm-hmm. which is not round, which is not free, which is not vast. So Oppressive. Yeah, very oppressive. But I can recognize some beauty in it because, you know, of course I would go to church every Sunday morning and then that's when I learned to sing and I loved mm. singing so I mean Jesus was a hippie and I thought you know he was great and he loved people and he showed people to love each other that part I can totally understand but the rest the rest of it is really for me real bullshit because how can you I mean it, it's like saying your beliefs are not that great so put them aside this is like millennial uh, beliefs, you know, this is like so connected to everything, to the nature. So slowly we are getting curious. Mm. Young people are like, well, okay, so what is really our, you know, spirituality, our mm. true identity? So it's really interesting to be hearing young people raising questions and challenging, you know, their parents or and saying, well, you say you're this and your beliefs and you're Christian, but actually it's kind of, can we, can we, we try to, you know, bind them mm. and, and, and go get good things from our yeah. culture or traditions? It sounds like, um, I read this phrase that you use called <clears throat> intergenerational trauma mm-hmm. when it comes to like how your parents' generation was able to cope with this versus how your generation and generations after you cope with it. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk a little bit more about about that that trauma and how the different generations are dealing with it? Yeah, um, it it it's very complicated, but it's getting very clear to us as indigenous people that. All the silence that, all the confusion or all the silence that our parents carried in them when they raised us um, was not because they are Inuit, humble, quiet people and they just take shit. It's really not that. We are realizing it's because they were so forced and made to believe that they were less and that their opinions um, don't really matter. So slowly, slowly, they were like, they learned to numb themselves, you know, mm-hmm. um, because they didn't have the support. For example, my my uncles, when they were kids, sent off to residential schools. I mean, it's the horror stories. If you want to learn more about it, just Google residential schools with like indigenous people, how they were treated. They were treated like animals, as if they were, these are beautiful, innocent children. So these people went through such traumatic experience where they did not have support because they were sent off for the year and they would only come home in the summer. And then at the beginning, I guess what they tried to do is try to you know, give an indication of how they were feeling, how they were not well treated, but it didn't really, they couldn't really do that because they were not going to be protected anywhere. They were going to be sent off again 
when August arrives. So they learn to just be like, okay, let me just numb them myself mm. because it's going to be easier. Right. Because, you know, it's not only taking away their language, it's taking away their, it's really taking away their pride and their spirit, you know, innocence. I mean, so <laughs> I think a lot of people are still stuck there. Um, it's like they haven't woken up. Well, they, they haven't. Uh, experience what I experience is you know I have I'm a teenager and I go to an adult I become a mother I become you know mature so I I have but these guys were so dramatized that some it's like they're stuck there mm. you know even though they're adults so that's have you heard of the phrase arrested development mm, it, yeah that's kind of what yeah. it sounds like yeah it's it's very sad but at the same time, their spirit is so powerful. So once you talk to them, let's say for my uncle, um, it's it. I think humor in Inuit uh, world, indigenous world, um, really saved us um, because we, and also being people from who live in in the present. I mean, that's all we can do. That's all we know how to live is to be in the moment. You mm -hmm. know. Because the nature like is so wild and so harsh that we couldn't really think about tomorrow, let alone the afternoon, right? And we're also told not to be in the past, to be in the moment. So I think that's a very beautiful gift that we have because or else I think many people would be dead right now. And which is happening also for the young kids. But yeah, so it's interesting to talk about you know, these people, because they are our, our base, you know, they're like my uncles, my, my mm -hmm. parents. Um, so they don't really want to talk yet about these things because it's so scary and, and because it's gonna, but it's, it's starting to happen. Yeah. People are starting to do more healing journeys and they're aware that we are there for them. Finally, and they're like, so this, what happened to me was wrong, wrong. you know? Yeah. yeah. Oh. Yeah. All right. Um, mm. I want to come back to more about the in mm. Inuit story because mm. it's just so uh, complex. Um, but I'd like to talk about your story. Mm -hmm. um, you were born to a single mother who had to make the decision to put you up for adoption. Mm -hmm. Um what was happening at the time for her? You said it was the late 70s where she would make that choice. Her mother, um, my grandmother, who I was named after, Akumalik, um, she said, you know, you're, you already have children. Um, I think if ever you have another baby, you should, you know, give it as a gift to our third cousin who can't bear children. So... The year I was born is also the year that my uh, few months before my grandmother had died. So, of course, she had to honor, you know, her wish. So when she got pregnant, then I was given to her third cousin on the spot. Like, I was born and I was given. It's as simple, simple as that. She wasn't in your yeah. life as a child. She was in my life because she was like three streets, you know, near my my house and also for Inuit it's very 
it's non-taboo to to say, okay, I'm your biological mother. We actually have a name for that mother. It's not biological mother. It's called pukuluk. It means little little carrier, little bag. So, like I know many people who have pukuluk. Oh, that's her pukuluk. So it means it's her, the one who carried her. Mm. You know, um, just to distinct that she's not the mother. She's the carrier. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So it's it's a very special thing. Uh, so ever since I'm a, uh, ever since I can remember, I was told, "Oh, that's your pukuluk." I would see her on the street. Did you have a relationship with her? Um, I developed a really great relationship with her um, over, like, especially when I got to be preteen, teenager. When I'm old enough to kind of decide what I want to do, I guess uh, naturally that's apparently what happens. Is I. The adopted child slowly start um, being more present to the biological family mm-hmm. because we're all in small little villages. So that's pretty much how it happens. We were kind of, we kind of go back naturally to, and we we're curious, of course. And it was because this is a very strong family, my biological side, because my grandfather was this very strong leader, very traditional um, as to my upbringing with my um, adopted parents who were like elderly, very humble, not very loud and very, you know, simple. Um, So I was always caught between those two worlds, Mm. which is interesting, but so confusing at times. I'm like, yeah, I'm strong, but no, I'm so much more. Okay. It's like... It's like such a duality. Yeah, and I I carry those every day. I'm like, I can go from super like, and then I can be super loud and and proud. And then I can be like, no, I'm just chilling with, you know. Yeah, it's weird. But yeah, I have good relationship with her now. Yeah. music for you in your young life what were you listening to and who Mm. was bringing you the music that was resonating I mean of course like um, a lot of country music Inuit love country music folk music Uh, but of course as a teenager I I would you know Tiffany was definitely my hero Debbie Gibson too Uh, (laughs) yeah 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 Jewel, I mean, I wanted to be Jewel, you know, her songwriting. I really, like, because I didn't know English until I was maybe in my teenage years. Through music, I really, you know, learned to speak and appreciate, um, you know, speaking English. So, and then I got to really liking... uh, like Metallica, because I was a radio host too, right? So mm. I would play all sorts of... So it's very extremes, very pop to very like mainstream, like which what my friends were listening to. I was always part of the boys, so, you know, Metallica and, and all those. And then a little bit later on in my teenage years, I discovered some oldies, like, you know, of course... Bob Dylan, Neil Young, anything that was like the 70s, Willie Thrasher. Um, so I've been kind of stuck there for a little while. Yeah, <laughs> more uh, Vashti Buyan, all these, you know. Um, yeah, Nick Drake, all this really. 
I don't know. I, I it's like so this funny because yeah. in watching your set last night, you could hear those like more American folk. Mm-hmm. You could also hear the Metallica. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that kind of edginess. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's yeah. always yeah. It's like, for wow, sure. I don't know yeah. if all these folk fans can. Yeah, yeah, I know. No, people were into it. It was cool. Yeah, and then we also decided, you know, do we want to try to adapt to the folk scene? And I'm like, you know, I think it's it's not just power ballads. Like sometimes we have, it's very, it's, it's very dynamic. varied. Yeah, dynamic. Like, yeah, it's, dynamic. it yeah. has to be dynamic. Yeah. Um, how about when you started playing instruments and mm. singing? What was that like for you? You mentioned the um, church. Yeah. Going to church yeah. made you sing. Um, well, there was very little, but my uncle was definitely the rock star in my town because he wrote a song called "The Ballad of the Runaway Girl." Um, you know, and when they were in residential schools, all these kids like Willie Thrash, everybody that I know that I love, they were all in the same high school. You know. Um, and they formed many bands between them. These are like from Nunavik, Nunavut, Arctic kids, all musicians that we know now. They were all making music, you know, 60s, 70s. So it was really important. So he's always been part of my life. And he was my Inutitut teacher. And I think at one point he was like, he realized that I was singing all the time. So one day he said, well, we have a show in Cape Dorset Festival, and it'd be nice to, if you could do back vocals. I mean, this is like my uncle, like old old band, right? Mm. So I'm like, oh, my God. The dad band. Yeah, dad band. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but very famous in the North. People oh. love them, right? So I'm like, oh, my God. And he's like, well, you should come out tonight and see how you feel and go sing. And I was so... So nervous and he tells me even now like you started singing and you were like mm, very like shy very and then an hour later you were like it yeah. just it just <laughs> and so that's how it started for me and I was like oh shit okay and the people were like okay you're you're definitely a singer I didn't realize it for so long because I was doing so many other things I had my radio show. I worked at the school with the kids who had problems. I, you know, I did so many things with for the community until I left when I was 22 mm. to go to Montreal for school in communications, actually. And I realized, okay, I something is, like, not right. I have to dig, like, something's there, and that's when I started writing my first demo and then from there it just went to yeah making my first album with the group Taima that was not under my name but we were a duo Mm -hmm. that was in like the early 2000s yeah 2003 something like that so it just started and that's that's what I've been doing ever since which is pretty crazy yeah You moved to Montreal when you were, did you say 20? Yeah, 22, something like that. Yeah. What was it like to leave your home and how did you process that move? Mm, it was very hard. It was very hard because everybody was like, well, you're, you know, why would you want to leave, you know? And 
my mother was a little bit ill, started to be ill, and uh, I felt so responsible for everybody, you know, uh, for my mom's well-being. Were you uh, the only child? No, we were three who had been adopted. I was the oldest. Um, and I also worked at the school with the kids. So there was, there was this very strong... But I felt like I had done everything already at the age of 22, and I'm like... I can't, I'm getting so old, you know, I'm so young and I feel like I've never lived an experience of being a youth or being young and being, and I'm like, I, I have to get out of here. I can't, I couldn't breathe anymore, you know, mm. I think I had taken so many responsibilities and I felt like if I don't leave, then I'm going to be stuck here with all this. So I have to find a way. So I kind of just ran, you know, and mm. I, and I left and so... It was very hard. My mother was very heartbroken. So I decided, okay, I'm leaving on my, and, and, and sacrificing the fact that I will never ask for anything and I have to be on my own because nobody's really gonna, you know, I'm, I'm breaking people's hearts. So I have to just be strong because, so for the longest time, that's how I lived. I'm like, oh, it's okay. My needs are not important because I'm just, you know, feel I felt so guilty, so guilty. Like living for yeah. other people. And and being in Montreal while people are suffering or my, you know, I was like so yeah, that wasn't great. So my ex first few years experiences were amazing. I learned a lot and I realized, "Oh, you can be an artist." Oh my God, you can make music. Oh my God. I was starving, you know, for mm -hmm. that. So of course I, I took everything and it was so intense and I made a, my, my album, my film. And I just, I think my antennas were so like, you know, capturing everything mm -hmm. because I, I was so, for so long, I didn't, you know, I ignored those feelings mm -hmm. that I had to want to create. And so when I moved to Montreal, I finally understood what it's all about. Uh, but it was very hard also because for the first time in your life, you're being asked, who are you? What are you like? Like anything. What that do you want to do? do? Uh, yeah. Or your identity, yeah. Inuit. And you had to like, and I'm, I don't know. Like right. it was, so it was a little bit confusing. Yeah. It's, it makes a lot of sense to me that that was your mindset, that mm. you were kind of shut off mm -hmm. because maybe the adults around you growing up were kind of mm -hmm. shut off of in that course, way. Of course. So they, they weren't like tapped into You're not their, welcome to, to feel, to ask questions about yeah. It's like, oh, it's okay, all right. So, so moving mm. to Montreal, mm. how did that feel to actually start feeling things and yeah. doing things for yourself. Or create your feelings or make things, um, experience things and be like, oh, wow, just that is huge. It's like for a young person, yeah. It was very stimulating, very exciting. Um, yeah. So not to like jump ahead several several yeah. years, but your latest album is The Runaway Girl. It's mm -hmm. about you grappling with the decision to leave mm -hmm. um and that was released in 2018 yeah and um it's like 15 or 20 years after you left so yeah been processing it yeah. for a long time um and now that it's been a couple of years since 
writing the album and releasing it, where are you with that struggle and how do you keep connected to your home and your sense of belonging? Hmm. Well, I think at one point we have to accept um, to sit down and face ourselves. I mean, it's, it's you ha- kind of have to at one point, especially when you're, it was my fourth album and I was, I was like, I need, I need to do this now. I need to sit down and stop, like really talk to myself and be honest and go where it hurts, you know, mm-hmm. dig in and dig in. And, and that's what I did. And and I decided this album will be uh, a road trip, you know, a spiritual road trip. That's how I saw it. I don't want to plan anything. I don't want to say I want to collaborate with this person or I want to make this kind of music. I just knew where it all started was the song Wolves Don't Live by the Rules by Willie Thrasher. And I was stuck, like, just listening to these old songs, and I needed to do that. I was obsessed with that music, as if I was going through my own therapy, you know, Mm -hmm. and it was amazing. So I cried and cried a lot, and... They were very finely through these songs. I was finally able to see a little bit of light and be like, okay, I'm gonna, uh, now I'm ready. So that's when it started. And I met some people and I'm like, oh, I really like this guitarist. I'm like, oh, maybe we should work together. And then I want to write something about that. And so I just went naturally where I felt like I had to go so by doing that I was allowing myself to trust learn to trust myself again you mm-hmm. know and be like okay my instincts are are back on and I'm, I can trust mm. them gosh it's so easy to ignore your instincts mm-hmm. I'm like, a very instinct that's very inconvenient yeah instinct. well my I'm I can I'm very instinctive in everything I do creatively I that's the only way I know, mm-hmm. so it can be kind of scary because I'm so not prepared. I'm so always late because I'm just waiting for, you know, it's chaotic. So I'm, sometimes it's not fun, but at the same time, that's the only way I know how to no, make in terms music. Of like creating music. Yeah, yeah or yeah. or this, this time around, I didn't want to, set the road I just was like okay I'm I want to I know I want to go here which is right here and then from there where is it going to lead me that's how it was making this album so it's very organic you know everything about Mm. it is is very natural Mm. um yeah I'm really yeah it 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 was it's an incredible mm, album thank you I wanted to talk about the song Una Mm -hmm. is that how you say it okay that explores your relationship with your biological mother. What's mm-hmm. the word again? Una. The the word for... Pukuluk. Pukuluk. Yeah. Pukuluk. Mm-hmm. Pukuluk. Um, you know, the, the song, it's my understanding that you were wondering if your mother had that moment of bonding with you as mm-hmm. a small child mm-hmm. before she gave you up, yeah. as you were bonding with your child. Yeah. Um, and... I think I misunderstood the story. I thought you guys first met after she heard that song live, but no, you, no, you no, grew no, up we with knew, yeah. her in your life. Um, yeah. But could you tell that story of her hearing that song for the first time? 
Yeah, it was very special. That was a year and a half ago. Uh, we had missed each other for some reason. I was in Salut launching the album in her hometown, in our, in our hometown. Is it, you're like a celebrity there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I went to my town, my small town community, and released the album there, which was really amazing. But she had gone to Montreal so she wasn't able to see the show and heard the song you know and um, and I didn't send it to her I just felt like it's gonna happen naturally we're just gonna find a way I'm not gonna push it right so when we did our first show in Montreal a few weeks later or two weeks later she was still there and then she had asked my sister um, her daughter so apparently she wants to know if she can is there any tickets left to buy the, the to go to the she show. She wants you to hook her up. Yeah, <laughs> but she also like she's ready to buy tickets and I'm like, oh. oh what she's still here? Oh my god. And then this is like the day before our show, which is a very important Montreal show. And I'm like, Oh my god, Eva Eva's gonna be there. Like this is like I'm already stressed about this show and then knowing that Eva will get to hear the song in front of like, I don't know how many people were there, 800? Yeah, uh, maybe 600, 700 people. Like a big... Wow, big show. Yeah, a big show for us. And uh, so we start the show and then when it comes to introducing the song, I said, this is a song I wrote. And uh, I, I spoke in French, I think. Um, and I said, Eva is here tonight. So, and, oh no, I didn't even say Eva is here, but it's, I said something along the line, like, this is very special. And, um, but she was there. I could, I could, I knew where she was standing, but I couldn't really try to look for her. But apparently she was very, very, uh, emotional because it's mm. so powerful with like the big sound this room was just right. beautiful theater uh very very beautiful so she came back she came to see me backstage and everyone was like oh that's eva that's the famous eva <laughs> behind that song and we're like hi, hi she's super like friendly and then we hugged each other but it was a hug that was maybe one minute long which is very unusual Hmm. And why it was it was longer is because we couldn't we couldn't face each other. We when we were hugging, it was like there was that we were both crying hmm. but holding it, so it wasn't overly like oh well, you know. But right, it right. was it was just something that was done between us. It's only us that felt it. I maybe of course people were like so just that the way she looked at me afterwards is like. You know, it was very... We don't really need to say anything mm. about that. It's just... And then I made a video six months later interviewing her about that song. And uh, I asked her all these questions. And you can see it online. Oh, with great. Una. Yeah. Be prepared. It's very, very... Cry. Be, it's yeah, cry because fest. it's our, it's Yeah, because it's the first time where we cry and tell... And I, it's the first time I learned stuff about my birth. 
can't yeah. wait to watch it. Yeah, it's Una. <laughs> yeah, it's good to cry. But uh, people were like, okay, I'm in my office right now. And I'm <laughs> crying. Like Everybody was like, oh, shit, I can't stop crying. You need I'm a in, warning. My, yeah, exactly. So. Um, is, it, is this song in French? In Uptitude, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. The, the language of the Inuit. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, Una. Yeah. Great. So great. Yeah. Um, how did writing that song and maybe even performing it for Eva um, help you understand or connect to yourself or to your own children? Oh my God, it was, I didn't realize it. My, I felt like I had a new life, a new outtake on life. I made peace with myself uh, by accepting that I was vulnerable and I was able to go to that the true I mean I always know that I'm vulnerable and I can be very emotional and sensitive but it's it's making peace and accepting uh, the image of that little child you know mm -hmm. that was it was so unfair what she went through because she of course wanted to be close to that that person that was, mm -hmm. you know, that made her. It's it's so important, but at the same time, I'm like, life is so, like the Inuit world of how we view life is not about you're my possession, you belong, you actually belong to the world. You're not mm. my possession. You're so that spiritual side of it is so it makes me much more at peace and I really made peace with that so I can now say I like I I'm happy about my adoption I I have I mean this is the life I had to live and right but I also accepting to love Eva again truly you know because mm. a few few times I was like actually I don't even like her I don't even no I because I so wanted to to accept that we the bond was broken so long ago mm. so i was yeah the last few years were like oh whatever why do i ask questions about her anyway i don't care she's we don't have the same values anyway she's right. she's whatever she's you know? not sitting at home so, thinking about me yeah <laughs> prob behind that is probably that yeah but uh, she was so amazing one time i said to her you know eva i'm sorry i've been ignoring you but I need to go through my things and one day we'll get to talk and, you know, I'll, I can't go into details. And she's like, you know what? It's okay. Do what you have to do, Elizabeth. Just that, the way she said it, I'm like, she's trying to teach me a lesson here. <laughs> she's, she's like, don't push it. Just live what you need. And when it's time for you to go see me, you will. Mm. It was so wise. And I, I'm like... Wow. Instead of being like, oh, okay, poor you. And yes, it's like she trusts, she showed me that she trusts that I will get to a place where I need to go to make peace, right? Yeah. Like, okay, all right. Wisely. Yeah. Very wise. <laughs> um, can we talk about, um, so you have a song, and I'm not sure which one it is, so you'll have to help me. You have a song where you look to inspire men and remind them that they are extraordinary. Mm -hmm. um, you have this quote, it's kind of long, you're saying, I'm telling them that they are the balance in, 
women's cause in our history, women have always been close to their families to care for them while men had the duty to mm-hmm. hunt, understand the territory while respecting our rights. Ultimately, at the end of this role that was central to who we were, men lost a part of themselves. And I want to know that it's possible. I want them to know it's possible to have both strength and the kindness of modern men. Mm-hmm. That's part of the the song I wrote for, for women. Um, you know, celebrating, wanting to celebrate the woman as this force, this mm-hmm. this powerhouse, you know. I think we have a hard time with accepting that because men have overtaken everything and they decided anything that's powerful, they're going to, it's them that are allowed to use that. Mm-hmm. And they forgot that, no, no, it's like the women have such amazing powers too you know mm-hmm. um power of healing power of uh connecting families connecting the worlds like they so i'm like so not fair so i needed to write that song about mm. women and also telling the men to you know to pay respect to the woman yeah it's such an interesting um message Mm. That, you know, there are songs about women being powerful, mm-hmm. but then it also seems like you're making space mm-hmm. for men mm-hmm. talking directly to them. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's also because I must, it must be weird being a man, you know, it must be weird because they're the, uh, you know, the way things were, it, it's kind of shifting and they are being reminded, hey, yo, dude. All the time, yeah. Because we're like, okay, because we're expressing ourselves so much, and it must be weird to be a man, even a modern man. It must still feel weird because that that space that they had, that privilege they had for so long, mm-hmm. is no longer being uh, encouraged. You know, it's mm-hmm. actually they're being told, dude. Don't be stupid anymore. Yeah. Give us space and, you know, make room for us. So it must, yeah, it must be interesting. <laughs> I sometimes will take a pull quote and use it like on a social media uh, image. And I think that that was it. Uh, it must be weird being a man. <laughs> yeah, it must be weird being a man. <laughs> um, you are a filmmaker and you have made a f- few films including one that you made in 2003 called if the weather permits which mm-hmm. showed the modern life of the inuit in mm-hmm. your home community mm-hmm. um which i watched i didn't watch the whole thing mm. um but i am going to because mm-hmm. it was very good mm-hmm. and your voice you're doing the voiceover mm-hmm. great yeah thank you um how does being a filmmaker inform you as a musician or vice versa? Mm, they go together. I, I don't really know how to separate them. Being a, like into documentaries, uh, telling stories and letting people tell stories. Um, and my music, I mean... I sing songs, but really what I'm doing is I'm trying to tell a story. Mm. And in between that, too, it's very important for me to to make what I have to say part of this whole experience of seeing the show. So I think 
it has to be a good dose of you know I can't just be I would I I could have been a stand-up comedian I would have loved to because <laughs> not being yeah just because I think life is so funny we're all such idiots sometimes <laughs> I'm like so like we're just trying to be so serious when really we're just a bunch of it's like we're like kids trying to you know we're so vulnerable human beings are so vulnerable mm -hmm. and I think there's a lot of fun in there I think there's a lot of humor that should be more present in our lives because we're we're just trying to adapt to life all the time mm -hmm. and except when you live in a farm and it's quiet and or you're out in the country and you have but you know people trying to be with humans is it's like complicated right yeah <laughs> even walking down the street yeah in uh i mean we're in new orleans where yeah. there's a lot of tourists yeah. around walking around and i'm from a walking city yeah and like i'm when i'm walking i'm like going somewhere yeah and it's just even hard to share oh the my sidewalk god yeah exactly so yeah it's definitely they go together they're always gonna go together yeah yeah that's great mm. Um, okay, so we do this like kind of fun, silly thing mm. called the lightning round. Yeah. Where I'm going to ask you questions. That, that on the spot? On the spot. Okay, cool. Okay, and they're all about you. So okay. You, you'll have all the right. answers. Okay. You ready? Mm -hmm. Okay. What was the first song you learned on the guitar? Oh my God, the first song. Oh my God. The first song, it's probably my song. I would, I'm such a horrible guitar players uh, a song um, uh, da, 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 da. I'm trying to think about that now Jewel probably but I was probably very bad at it yeah I'd say Jewel yeah <laughs> uh, do you like lakes or beaches beaches okay. yeah yeah what is your karaoke song crazy Crazy for feeling so lonely. I'm crazy. Crazy for feeling so blue. Yeah. Yes. Patsy Klein. Oh, really good. <laughs> um, do you like dogs or cats? I like dogs. I'm learning to like cats. Inuit are afraid of cats, so yeah, really? dogs. Yeah, we have no cats. It's like these weird creatures. They're like oh, dogs are like. You know, but I have a cat now. You do? Kids. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> we'll do a whole other episode talking about our cats. <laughs> yeah, okay. um, what was the first album you bought with your own money? With my own money? Oh, darn. I don't know if it's Van Halen or something like that. Jewel. <laughs> yeah, not Jewel. Van Halen, probably. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Um, do you remember your first concert? My first concert was with my uncle's oh, yeah. band when I was a kid and I walked up the hill and it was an outdoor concert. It was beautiful. And uh, I was walking with my father and we just sat and, and I was like, I was amazed. Like, yeah, my uncle's Sugluk band, they're called. Oh, that's great. What is your dream collaboration? Devendra, Devendra Bernhardt. Uh, <laughs> that would be amazing. Uh, PJ Harvey. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm just being very, you know, big. Yeah. Yeah. 
Are you a morning person or a night owl? I don't know. I have no, it changes all the time. I'm definitely a night owl, depending when. But morning person, I want to be a morning person. It's so nice. Mornings are so beautiful because it's yeah. like, it's you, you're so pure. You're so, yeah. I feel that, yeah. but it's nice to sleep. Yeah, it's nice to nothing. sleep. Oh, yeah, for sure. When you had your babies, did you find out the gender or did you wait? Uh, I found out the gender. I know. That's, that's boring. <laughs> um, flying or invisibility? Oh, shit. I want to fly. I'm a bird. I'm a hopanok, right? So, yeah. That makes sense. Fly, flying. It would be weird if you chose yeah. the other one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, final question. What is the most beautiful place you've ever visited? Well, I guess I'm still daydreaming of hitting the road from San Francisco to further south, like Big Sur area, mm. Monterey with the ocean. Something very exotic and very different view. So uh, yeah, I've visited some beautiful places, but that sense of being on the road um, and having constantly that ocean that is, you know, there's something yeah I think I want to relive that because it's just it's not that it's so beautiful it's the sense it's the feeling the what it brings you mm. like when you're traveling in that area I yeah. don't know something really I like that mystic something really yeah mystical I can feel that yeah 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 all right that's it yeah you did it <laughs> you did it all right, thank you so much, Elisa you for being on the podcast. Oh, thank you, Nakamik. Basic Folk is produced by Laura McCarthy along with Adam Corey. Lindsay Myers is our business manager. Alex Stanton of Townspeople does Basic Folk's music. I'm your host, Cindy House. Very happy to have you listening. Please go to my website, cindyhouse.net. Check out those Basic Folk beanies and then subscribe at whatever platform you want to subscribe on and then review and rate and share with all your friends. And we'll do it again next week. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you later. Bye.